Kind of Financing Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have with us John Paramore from The Smash Company. John is a serial entrepreneur who has built several successful companies in the roofing and restoration industries. He left his last company to pursue his passion of helping others implement the superior sales methods that he became passionate about while owning his companies. This is going to be an awesome uh, show. I'm really excited about this because John has helped dozens of entrepreneurs get away from inefficient sales practices like cold door knocking and finding better lead generation methods that generate double or even triple the revenue. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us sure. a little bit about your company, The Smash Company, and how it's helped entrepreneurs over the years. Uh, man, um, so we, one great thing that I really love about our business is we go into um, other organizations that are either stuck or struggling, and it doesn't really matter with what, whether it's systems, processes, procedures, uh, the team that they've put in place, whatever the case may be. We specialize in going inside of those organizations and really helping them move their business to the next level. Okay. So can you give me an example of a company that might be stuck? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I would say, honestly, like, I would say the, like a lot of there's, – there's a lot of companies out there that have gotten themselves uh, – and I'll give you a specific example here in a second. But there, there, there are a lot of companies that have gotten themselves to a certain level, um, and then what happens is they reach either their capacity or the capacity level of their team, and they really just – are uncertain and unsure about how to how to get to that next level. So, like for instance, uh, one of our clients does about thirty million a year, um, and they they have a pretty good sized team. They've got an internal team of about fifteen. They have about forty sales reps um, in hmm. the field, and they just couldn't figure out how to get the company from thirty million a year to even even growing it by fifty percent, right? Getting it to forty five hmm. million. Um, and, right. and, you know, they've got the people in place, they have the systems in place, what they really, really, uh, the problem that they had though, was they had what we would label as like a ping pong effect happening. They were moving, uh, parts of the internal processes to one person and then back to another person and then back to that same person. And what we did was help them streamline that process so that everybody only touches the file, um, that was needing to be produced one time. They do their specific role their specific function, and then they move that file on to the next person, and, and essentially they're finished with what needs to happen as opposed to it going back and forth. Yeah, so it's, it's a situation where they're so close to a problem that they don't really see what's going on outside of the problem. Every single time, right? Yeah. You're, when you're standing in the fire, it's, it's really, really difficult to realize that you're about to be burned. Right. And, mm. uh, it, it bringing somebody like us, you know, like we're just an opposite set of eyes and, and we've been in business. I mean, I've do, I've been building businesses for 20 years at this point. Right. And, and we had at our, at our pinnacle, I mean, we were doing $30 million a year in 2009 with 125 employees in 19 different states. So, wow. you know, I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that happen and I've even had mm -hmm. to have consultants come into my companies and, and do the same thing and say, Hey, you know, have you ever thought about looking at it this way? Right. And how long would it typically take for you to go through that process with the company? It really depends. Everything we do is custom. Um, everything okay. we always start with a with a three. We call it a three day intensive, where we essentially go to uh, their facility or they come to ours 
Um, we've got a room called the tank that, that we bring people into here. Um, but we either go to their facility, they come to ours and we look at everything. I mean, we start from how do they generate a lead all the way to, uh, how does it get produced? What are the systems in between? Uh, how many people have to touch it? What's the process involved in touching it? Um, and then ultimately when it's produced, uh, what kind of result is the client getting and are they excited about it or are there breakdowns there as well? Okay. So is there a revenue size that you work with? Because this is really fascinating. Uh, I feel like so many companies could benefit from this. Yeah. So our smallest client right now does about $3 million a year. Um, okay. Our largest client just does under $100 million. Um, okay. So it's it's a pretty wide – I mean, and it's the size of the business is not really – um, like the caveat for us, it's, it's more about the owner's willingness, um, to have somebody come in and tell them that things are broken, right? To tell mm. them that things are inefficient. And a lot of times owners, and I've been there, so I can relate. Um, right. there's a lot of ego in being an owner, right? There's a lot of oh, confidence yeah. and things like that. And it's sometimes difficult to have somebody come in who you don't know really well, be able to go and find, you know, the problem that's really stifling your growth and they can find it in a matter of days that you haven't been able to see it in five years. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty humbling for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, that is. That is. And and the thing is, when you, you know, you're as an entrepreneur, your business is like a baby to you. And then for someone oh, yeah. to come in and tell you how to run your business, it could be a very emotional process, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. So, um, Please share with us how you, your journey of starting the Smash Company. I know you're a serial entrepreneur, um, and you've talked about how you've learned over the years how to build your businesses. But what journey um, brought you to this point to switch gears from your owning your own businesses and roofing um, to starting Smash Company? Yeah, so I've actually owned um, several different businesses. My largest company uh, was my contracting business, but I've owned uh, personal training facilities, Okay. marketing organizations, um, you know, things like that. So uh, for, I got started at a really young age. I was 23 when I opened my first business um, and, you know, quickly got in, like, I basically was thrown into the fire. I had an organization that owed me a bunch of money that ended up going upside down and mm. I really didn't know what to do. So uh, we started our own business, myself and another partner. And then I basically, you know, got thrust into the world of, entrepreneurship, which I'm very, very grateful for looking back because it really forced me uh, to get out of a comfort zone and to really learn as much as I could, as fast as I could, and and um, and really build a lifestyle that that I could only dream of at the beginning when we when we started doing it. But I mean, there's there's been so much, um, you know, adversity and ebbs and flows uh, in 2009 um, when the you know, 2008, 2009, when the economy went through a, a pretty big downward spiral, yeah, really I was bad. I owned uh, 15 million dollars in residential real estate that that ended up um, you know going we ended up going bankrupt because oh, the, wow. the notes got called and all of that stuff. So oh, I've wow. been like I've been at the pinnacle of success where you have you know the the adversarial pinnacle of success where everybody likes to label it as success, fun cars, mm-hmm. houses, all that stuff all the way back down to zero and then completely rebuilt again after that. Wow. And I think it's just, you know, the willingness to go through whatever adversity is there, whatever pain is there, and just, you know, having a bigger vision, like what I really am after to create. So, Yeah, I mean, you've seen it all. I mean, a, a, not a lot of people have been to that pinnacle of success, and then you've lost it yeah. and was able to rebuild it. So 
Exactly. Uh, that, and I'll, that, I'll be honest with you, like that's the, that is the number one reason why the majority of my clients hire me and are willing to pay a lot of money to have us come in and, and look at their stuff is because they know like, they're like, this guy's been through, you know, he's like been at the gates of hell and stood in the fire and right. has, has been burned really bad, but then also walked himself out of that, you know? Right. And for a lot of people, like they get themselves to that same scenario where they're just standing there looking at the gate but they don't know how to get out, right? And right. Hey, we should just call the guy who's been here before and have him help us out of here real quick. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. As opposed to trying to figure it out. Right. Yeah, because I'm I'm sure not only because it's a humbling process, but now here's someone who has been there and you can identify with what they're going through. Not only that, I'm sure that you could see warning signs that they might not be able to see, whether Absolutely. it's being overly leveraged or having too much staff. What warning signs have you seen that owners haven't seen? I would say like one of the biggest things that I see on a regular basis is the right people in the wrong seat. Um, so mm. like, you know, having an operations person uh, in doing sales, having somebody doing sales who's better meant to do uh, internal processes and procedures. Um, but we see that. That's probably the most common thing that I see is someone use what we label as a best guess hiring practice to build their team. And they, they're, they, they're really frustrated because the, the, they, they say things to us like, John, why can't I just get my people to do what they're supposed to do? Yeah. And we immediately know, well, it's likely because you have the right person in the wrong seat. Wow. And as soon as sometimes as soon as you realign some of that, you just shift people into roles that are better suited for who they are, uh, the company forces. Yeah, and then sometimes that could even be the owner. I mean, the owner may have been able sure. to get something to a certain point, and then as the business grows, they need someone else to fill that seat. Right, exactly. Yeah. So over the years, you have been instrumental in helping entrepreneurs um, build, go from inefficient sales practices like cold door knocking and, find, and to finding better lead generation methods. Uh, why do For you sure. believe cold door knocking is inefficient, and what are some better alternatives? Yeah, so the main thing that makes cold door knocking inefficient is that it's not predictable, it's not sustainable, and it's not a reliable form of lead generation, right? So can if somebody obviously it's like playing the lottery, right? If you if you hit enough doors at a at a good enough clip and you enjoy doing that, you're going to get results from it, right? Just that's just right. from the the tenacity of doing. It's kind of like going to the gym and if all you do is walk on a treadmill, you're probably going to lose some weight. But does that mean that you're suffering somewhere else, right? Does that mean that because you're not lifting weights, now you've lost a bunch of weight, but because you gained no muscle, now all you are is like skinny fat, right? So right. That, 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 that's the same scenario that presents itself with door knocking. Can, if, you, if you're an owner and you have your guys just go out and knock doors to generate leads, can they generate business? Sure, but you're going to end up having this massive rate of turnover because people are going to burn out, right? I mean, you can... That takes a tremendous amount of willpower, and you can only be rejected so many times and, and go through that willpower before you just burn out and you're done with it. So we teach people all the time, like even if it means just warming up the door or if it means different lead generation methods, whatever the case may be, we teach people all the time uh, that you know there's way more efficient ways to do the same thing without the abuse and wear and tear on the salespeople. Okay. So I'll be an example of um, a better lead generation method. Oh, so, so the two main things that we talk about on a regular basis would be 
um, targeted direct mail, which is uh, way different than mass mailing. Targeted direct mail would be like, you know who your client is, you know where they live, you've got the demographic down, and you're using handwritten envelopes and handwritten notes to get their attention. That's wow. a handwritten envelope by itself has a 97% open rate. So that means really? that because it's, it's, so, it's so unused, if you think about it now, like the last time that somebody sent you something that was handwritten, 97% of the people that get that open it because it's so uh, like infrequent now, right? We get a lot of stuff that has like a pre, uh, a pre address or something like, you know, typed that on there true. or something like that. <laughs> and, but we just don't get much handwritten stuff anymore. Most of the time, the, the, the only handwritten stuff you get every month is when, like if it's your birthday or something, right? So if you put something, a note to someone in an, in an envelope and you handwrite it, you mail it out to them, they're going to open it then it just means that the messages inside the envelope needs to be really compelling and strike a nerve, emotion, whatever the case may be, to get them to take action. So that's one thing that we use that works really, really good. I mean, and you, you have access to, like, the greatest technology era of all time, right? You've got Facebook and social media and Instagram and uh, right. LinkedIn and all of these methods. If, you're, if you can generate ads and you can generate organic search. I mean, I built this entire business as it sits today has been built solely on organic posting and organic following from social media. Like that's everything that we've built today. It's a seven figure, uh, um, a seven figure a year organization that's been solely built just from organic traffic on social media. Now we're diversifying and we're getting into, um, you know, moving into ads and YouTube and all that fun stuff. But it's like when I started this, this thing five years ago, all I did was get online and go into groups where my, my, essentially my avatar, my ideal client was and just deliver like a ridiculous amount of value into those groups and people were just, you know, coming like crazy. Huh. And that doesn't cost you, you know, much. Nothing. As opposed to buying lots of lists and calling people all the time. And it's exactly. probably enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the handwritten letter, you're right, because at times I'll get handwritten notes and I do open those letters. That, that, that Absolutely. Has, yeah, there is value in that. Um, why do you see um, entrepreneurs doing wrong in their businesses? Um, I know you said right people in the wrong seat, but do you see any other uh, things that entrepreneurs are doing wrong and how can they correct it? Yeah, I mean, it just depends on that. I mean, that's that's like a pretty broad, you know, question, but it just depends right. on the type of business that they have. Um, I would say, you know, probably the second largest thing that I see outside of the right people in the wrong seat would be scaling too fast, right? Trying mm. to put the cart before the horse, trying to, right. um, like you're talking about, like having somebody dump a lot of money into ads when they have like, when nobody knows who they are, right? Hmm. So they think, well, if I just run an ad, I'm going to get somebody to buy something. It doesn't work that way. Like, you know, failing to brand and really establish themselves as an expert and authority other than them telling people that they're an expert and an authority, right? I think that's right. really, really, really important. Right. And then also on your website, um, really good information there. Uh, you said that uh, you talk about the seven stages of business freedom and that more than 90% of entrepreneurs never fully reach it. Please explain some pitfalls entrepreneurs fall into that prevents them from reaching their full potential. The number one thing is um, trying to hold on to control. That's mm. the number one thing. So the four, the um, fifth, sixth, and seventh stages are what we label as business maturity. And the only way that you can have a mature business is if you have leaders in place and leaders in charge. 
And if you don't ever take, take your hands off the wheel and relinquish control and get the right people in to take control of the majority of the operations and procedures and growing the business, you as the business owner never really reach, uh, you know, the mature business that gives you more time and more money. Like you're always just going to end up being hostage to the business to some degree. It's always going to rely on you for decisions and whatever. And that also means that whenever something happens to you, whether you get sick or you're in a bad accident and can't work, or even God forbid, if you die, the business ends with you. So if you really want to build a business um, that is like, you know, that'll stand the test of time, it's got authority, it's got, um, you know, like longevity, you're essentially building a legacy. You've got to get to the stages and, and be willing to understand that you, if, if your desire is to always be in control, the business is only going to go so far. Yeah, that that is so true. And the the organizations and businesses you see that still hold you on to control, is, they hardly ever grow because they're limited and they have a limited vantage point. Um, but there are some businesses that they're, they always say, well, I can't hire the people. You know, I don't have the money to hire the people or I'm not finding quality people. What do you say to those entrepreneurs? Um, the quality people are out there. Most people, so, so this is, this is going to be kind of tough for a lot of people, anybody that listens to this to hear, but we typically attract who we are, right? So when somebody says to me, um, I'm having trouble finding quality people, I have them take an inventory on like the quality of their current life, right? The quality of their current business, because most of the time, you know, like because of how much I post and how much I talk and and how I'm out in the community, I speak a lot. I speak at probably four or five events a month. Um, I attract a lot of really great people to come to work at this organization. And it's it's the same for just about any organization. The more influential you are, the more you're out there building relationships, authentic networks, um, you know, things of that nature. It's really not that difficult to find really great people, even if they're working for somebody else. The ones that struggle, um, they're trying to use people for personal gain and it, especially in this day and age, it's easier and easier for other people to see that. If you're just trying to take advantage of somebody's skill set and you're almost treating them like a commodity, um, wow. you know, people people can feel that. Mm. That is that is a very good answer. You're absolutely right because you know some people may have the same resources, they're starting up at the same time, but they attract the right people who have ownership over that company. Whereas other people are still struggling to do that, and you're right, it's who you attract. Um, that that's great um, advice. Uh, we're now going into the rapid fire questions, and it's just a way for listeners to know who you are and to see another side of you. So the first question is coffee or tea? Uh, coffee, hundred percent. Always <laughs> coffee, never tea. Yeah. Tea is tea is too watery for me. I need that coffee. <laughs> All right. So um, second one, uh, favorite business book. Um, I would say that my, I don't know, like it's, it, some people would say it's a business book. Some people would say it's a mindset book, but there's a book by Tim Ferriss called Relentless. I've learned more about business from that book than probably any other book that's like a quote unquote business book, because that book is all about just being obsessed with what you do and, and being relentless in the pursuit, having really high standards, things like that. Okay. Um, I have to read that. You know, everyone always talks about the four hour work week with Tim Ferriss, but I definitely want to check out that. Yeah. Love the title. Um, Favorite vacation location? Uh, Laguna Beach, California. That's one of my favorite places to go. If you were to have a dinner party 
who would you want to invite? Um, <laughs> uh, we'll just we'll just go with a live right now, right? Um, okay. So d- dinner party. Um, actually, I'm going to dinner with uh, Ed Milet and Andy Priscilla in oh, wow. uh, about a month, right, at Ed nice. Milet's house. Um, so uh, that's something that I've been that's like been on a wish list of mine for a lot of years to just get deeper connected to to those guys and guys like them and you know, things like that. So I'm pretty pumped about that. So I'd have to say those two fellows. That's very exciting. Uh, and the last one is what parting advice, and you have given us a lot, but what parting yeah. advice would you give to entrepreneurs? Um, I would just say, like, really know and grasp the concept that you're you're never going to arrive, right? Like, you can have this, this thing in your mind, um, but I, you know, I remember, you know, when I had made several, you know, $10 million, right? And you're like, you, you want to have this feeling of like, oh, okay, you can kind of rest and take your foot off the gas and, you know, oh, okay, I finally made it. But the reality is you're, you're never going to get to that point, right? And I think the, the greatest thing, the greatest misnomer about success is that it's a destination. It's not. It's actually the journey that you're going to go through, um, you know, chasing the best version of yourself. I think that to me is the definition of success. So just always be in pursuit. And even if you're doing really, really well, always have this this little bit of, um, you know, like I don't want to call it fear, but have this thing in the back of your mind where you know that just as hungry as you used to be or just as hungry as you are, somebody's hungrier and they're coming for what you have. So mm. you just, just never give up on, you know, being relentless in the pursuit. That's awesome. And I'll end there, but we will love for people to learn more about you and know how they could work with you. Where should they yeah, go for so- you? Yeah, come come to the website. We've got two sites. You can either go to my personal site, which is uh, John J O N Paramore P A R A M O R E dot com, or you can go to thesmashco dot com, which is T H E S M A S H C O dot com. Perfect. Thanks so much, John. You're welcome. Take care. Take care.